There you go, right up to the mic. So you have no context of what's going on here. I had some availability today, and I'm going to produce an entire season of a podcast just today. So you're episode six of an unnamed podcast about creativity. Wow. Okay. Introduce yourself, Mike Zim. I'm Mike Zim. I'm a creative strategist here at Digital Surgeons. I focus primarily on search engine optimization and search engine marketing and paid media in general. As I said, this is about creativity. It's around different views on creativity, different processes of creativity. And so what I think is going to be interesting is your any answers you have are not going to be about the creative industry or marketing or advertising or anything like that, you're going to probably reference some ancient classical take on creativity, which is why I want this conversation. Cause I think the elements of things that you understand, I believe in the muses, the daemons, that's the stuff I want to hear more about. Okay. There's a lot to talk about here, James. I'm going to just really speak my mind here. I don't think creativity is something you can do on a whiteboard. I don't think it's necessarily something you do in a 20-minute session of let's go get creative. Uh, for me, my most creative spurts come from nature. They come from taking a walk. For those of you who don't know, I did a, I do, I had a, I did a PhD, and I don't want to talk about that. But I do want to talk about where my— If I had a PhD from Yale and I taught at Yale, I would say it in every single sentence no. with everyone I met. <laughs> He's mocking me, everyone. Um, and I don't do that. You don't. I'm not mocking you. I, I would, and I you don't. I should, though. You hide it. I'm not that vain. But I will I say am. that my entire, you know, okay, a little plug for myself. I did my dissertation on the limits of free speech in ancient Athens. But my entire idea for a dissertation, it didn't come from spending hours in the library reading uh, reading research books there. In fact, it came from taking my dog for walks. I would just go to Egerton Park. It's a beautiful park located here in, in New Haven. Have you been there, James? No. It's a beautiful park. I was just going to take my um, my wonderful Newfoundland dog there for walks, 20, 30 minute walks each day. And I just look at the trees and think. And that's where a lot of my most creative ideas come from. And even uh, you mentioned ancient Greece. There's a beautiful platonic dialogue called, it's called uh, the Phaedrus. It's one of the most natural of all Plato's dialogues. Natural in the sense of it takes place in nature. And the opening for this dialogue is Socrates taking a walk along this beautiful stream with his friend. And a lengthy portion of this dialogue just discusses the beauty of nature. The, in fact, anyone here who has not read the Phaedrus, you should read it in Greek or in English, preferably in ancient Greek. You can be forgiven if it's not ancient Greek. But just reading the description of the countryside and what it looked like and hearing Socrates talk about the natural beauty, for me, very much captures what creativity means. I don't think it's necessarily something where you have these creative spurts for eight or 10 hours a day. Sometimes my great creative spurts come for only 20 or 30 minutes, but that can last me a long time. In fact, I was just talking to one of our creative technologists here, Jake Burden, about how uh, they say that uh, Charles Darwin, who wrote one of the great, not just one of the great pieces of science, right, in The Origin of Species, a masterpiece of science, some would say even the greatest scientific idea ever had, but it's a great piece of literature if you ever read, read his Origin of Species. It's very literary in quality, he, in fact, only worked for two or three hours a day, and often he was just observing just observing what was around him. He wasn't forced into this desk. And I feel like for people like us, and James, for those of you who don't know, also is a man who appreciates nature, loves to take walks. And, in fact, do you get creative? When you're walking your dogs, do you get I ideas? honestly didn't even think about how much I go for walks, and you're, I think, the third person to reference my walks on here. You do. For those of you who, uh, if you follow James on Instagram, and you definitely should, he takes fantastic pictures. He is someone who, whether you realize it or not, is keenly influenced by nature. But I want to ask, do you feel like when you're walking, do you also just let your mind wander when you're with your dogs? I actually listen to podcasts. I always have your headphones on when I'm walking. And so I'm not letting my mind wander. 
at all. I'm I'm learning something. I like to and... use that time to absorb content, to absorb I think enter- that, things that are entertaining. I think there's a constant tension for me between my like my mind is my mind is wandering wandering all the rest of the time, no. like during meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I can't laugh too close for that. I'm like you though, where I, I have the, there's this constant tension between wine to. To get inspir- get ideas, right? Because I we, mm-hmm. we yeah. do, I do great when I listen to something, I get a great idea from it. And even when I'm driving, do I listen to music? Do I listen to a podcast or a book? And right now, I tend to risk listen to books. But part of me says, well, don't do that. Don't listen to anything. Just look and see what happens there. And honestly, I don't think it's not really one or the other. It's kind of it is a combination. But I do feel like my most important creative burst. I mean, the articles I write now. Usually I'll just be from sitting in a cafe, drinking a coffee, or I randomly read an article, like unstructured learning, where you're learning, but you don't plan on learning anything or applying that for immediate business use. And then just something clicks in your brain. And you say, I have, an, I have an idea. Because the idea is in response. It's an external stimuli. And I now need to write an article. It has to get done. It might take me two or three hour, hours. Sometimes it'll take me a week. Um, that article that I, that I wrote in the Wall Street Journal, that was, that was probably like... Altogether, it took probably four or five hours to write the article because I had some. Yeah, some that idea. was being edited by the Wall Street Journal. By the time you told me, you even wrote the article. That's how quick. Yeah, because you know it's same with you when you write. I mean, for those of you who don't know as well, James, I'm not a quick copywriter. James can just fire copy out. I I can't do that. But when it does come to articles and I get that burst of inspiration, uh, again, it's not as if I say today I'm going to write an article for this publication. It's really more of I might wake up in the morning. I see something beautiful, might be there's something beautiful outside, or I read something really thought provoking and just has to get done. I have to write something right there. And I know, you know, James and I've talked about this as well. Inspiration, it, it does go away. It's not as if I have this creative idea, I'll put it on hold for a week. It won't ever be the same. Like you have this limited time to at least capture that. And granted, once I have the form of it, then I'll go back and edit it and revise it. But like that. The hard-hitting sentences, the passion, of it. the passion of it, like the, you know, it's not just the intellectual idea there. It's the way you frame it. Like we've talked about like, the exact word you use. Those come in response to things. And although on the one hand, I hate my smartphone because I'm constantly addicted to it. There are times when I'm walking around and I just get this sentence. Like it comes to me. Unless I write it down, I do. I just take out my phone. And I have a note. And I'm like, wait, type it down. Otherwise, it will be gone forever. Right. There's no recapturing that sentence, unfortunately. So go further on that. What is creativity then? How is it that walking around in nature can spark ideas. And what is it that there's a passion, there's energy that will fade? What is creativity then? Because I it believe is, no, we've, yeah, it, we've it, had the conversations around yeah. there being a, a spiritual. Yeah, it, 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 it does feel it. sort of a, it does feel like a religious experience because obviously when we talk about people being creative, of course, we can have all these giants in history and literature and art that were creative, but I think something that's left out of that story is that they exist as creatives in a vacuum. Like, I don't think it ever works that way. It's not just nature as well. It's, it's conversations. That's why James will constantly take me away during lunch where I'm focused on something big. Let's go get lunch. I think the very business-oriented person would say, I'm focused on something. I'm not going to do that. But the creative in me says, you don't know what can come from that conversation. In fact, I've often noticed even at work when I'm struggling, it's when I take breaks that the breakthrough usually comes. It's not from staring at it for hours. It's often wasting time or sometimes wasting clients' money. You can often actually better spend clients' money by saying, I'm going to take a 40 or 45-minute coffee break. You just have a conversation, takes your mind off it, but something happens where there's a breakthrough or there's an unintended breakthrough where you have some 
concept that wouldn't have existed were enough for that conversation, but you give yourself something much more powerful that can transform yourself or the people around you or some other unintended you know, business goal. And I do feel like for me, being creative involves embracing spontaneity of being unstructured. I haven't found, I don't know about you, I've not found a way to really, obviously I think well, the fact that I know that I can go and take a walk and I'll usually get some ideas, there's some structure there. I know right. what I respond to, but I do think that there is, being creative is also recognizing that whatever talent, and I'm certainly with so many creative people here, whatever talent I have internally, ultimately I need that external spark to come to me and, and to accept that. So there's also... I realize that we're all creative and there's a heavy degree of individualism in that, but I also recognize there's something deeply unindividualistic about that. In fact, as a kind of historical reference, I think one of the things that's most associated with Charles Darwin, uh, James knows I'm, I love evolution by natural selection. I think it's one of the greatest ideas, although I'm not trained in it. I just think it's such a fascinating concept. Uh, one of the iconic moments in natural history, everyone talks about is Darwin's visit to the Galapagos Islands. In fact, uh, although everyone talks about this, visiting the Galapagos, we always hear about, oh, the Galapagos are somehow inextricably connected with the theory of natural selection. Darwin, I believe, was only in the Galapagos Islands for seven days. This event, which transformed the way we understood the world, he was only there, and he was on the HMS Beagle for years, but that particular part of the journey was only seven days. And they say what makes it so iconic is that when he was there, that's when everything came together. He saw the beak of the fin. He saw these finch birds. Everybody's had different sized beaks. He looked at all these animals. But that's what sort of pulled everything together. And it's so fun to sort of just play with the idea of what if Darwin hadn't gone to the Galapagos? He has all this research. He's been traveling. He has all these great ideas. But it's that burst, like, again, that external stimuli, in this case, visiting the Galapagos, that was the trigger for him that allowed him to pull together everything he was seeing in nature. And I think that's really beautiful. Now, anyone I have in here can talk about creativity as it applies to them, us at DS, and the work we do. But you're the only one here who can talk about the history of creativity in the classical sense. So get, take me back. We, we said yeah. it's a spiritual thing. Take me back to it being divine. Take me back through the Renaissance. Take me back to ancient Greece. Take me all th- through the history of creativity. Let's just go really early before the Renaissance. That's pretty okay. late for me. That's, that's how ancient I am. But even if you read our, some of our earliest examples of Western literature, that we have our Homer's epics, the Iliad and the Odyssey, and they never begin with, uh, although we say Homer wrote these works, if you read those two poems, in fact, there is never a person named. There's no one that says, I am Homer, I'm going to write this. It just, uh, the Iliad b- begins with, uh, Goddess, sing to me. It's called the Invocation of the Muse. So even this work, the Iliad, it's this great poem about the war, Troy, the war in which Achilles fought, the war in which Hector fought, in which they fought over Helen of Troy, full of great heroes. It begins with this invocation of the gods, this idea of, I don't matter. I can't do this without some external stimuli, in this case, the muse. If this will not be possible, were it not for the gods to speak through me and to allow us to happen. And then if you look at uh, the Odyssey, it's the same thing. Enepe moi musalik. Sing to me, muse, of the man of many turns, in that case, Odysseus. That's how the poem begins, once again, with an invocation. There's no sense of Homer saying, I am Homer, I'm going to write this. There's this recognition there that, you know, if you might say it's a manifestation of creativity itself, but the poet need, the poet or the the poet's tradition of these poems that are written by many bards, the bard needs 
the goddess to do this. Without that, without this, ex- without creativity being personifies a goddess, and it comes from outside, it's not possible. And then the first work in Western literature, one of the first works in which someone says, "I'm an author. I'm writing this down," is the next great work of uh, the Greek uh, literary tradition. It's by a poet named Hesiod, probably writing the seventh century. BC, and he says, I'm Hesiod. I wrote this, but then there's also a famous in, uh, invocation to the to the muses. So once again, even though he's saying, I'm a guy and I wrote this, I can't do it without the muses. They need to to bring me there. And then even in the Roman tradition, with Ver, uh, the greatest poet of the, of the Roman tradition was Virgil, who wrote the Aeneid. He also invokes the muses a lot. That's what he said, that that is a constant theme of those poems, that creativity... I think there's something humbling about to think of uh, there is, I think, right now, sometimes artists can be, we know, like they can tend to be a little overly arrogant. I mean, if you can be overly arrogant, but they're a little too confident in themselves. And there's something, I think, especially for creators where they need this idea of, yeah, you're great and you have talent in you, but also recognize that you need some sort of external guidance. And if you're not a particularly religious person, that can be, the muse can be a conversation with someone else. It can be nature, but recognizing that no matter how creative you are, just sitting in a room and trying to produce a design or, or write a poem or write a piece of copy for a client, you do need you do need, need that. I know we're always trying to be productive here. We always want to get a lot done, but sometimes we don't realize that like your most productive moments can come from those moments of spontaneous unproductivity, which is going out, hanging out. And doing something special. So for me, especially when you look at one of the great lessons I take from the Greeks and the Romans is uh, there is this kind of creative humility there. They were kind of, especially early on saying, if it comes externally, then I can't take full credit for it. But I also recognize I need that. And I think it can be also healthy as well. Because what happens when you go through those creative blocks? I think I'm sure everyone here right, has gone through one period where you're just blocked. It might be for a day. It might be for a week. Might be months, could be longer, because we do hear about great artists having writer's block. There is something very humbling that can help you avoid depression if you're saying, okay, there's something wrong with me, versus maybe I just need, the, I'm, I'm not getting that external thing that was helping me prior to this that I need right now. And the Greeks, I think, really, by personifying inspiration through the muses, they were, I think, really onto something there. What are some of the other muse-like characters or muse-like concepts through history beyond the muse? So t- what about ancient Rome? We hear more, the Romans were a bit more fascinated by almost natural like spirits. We do hear about that early on, like woodland spirits being a source of, uh, of inspiration. Unfortunately, with the Romans, we have fairly, Greek literature develops fairly early in the 8th century BC. With the Romans, it develops much later. Uh, we don't hear about any Roman literature in the 7th century B.C. or 6th century B.C. It's not to say they didn't have it, and they probably would have, maybe perhaps very much had those similar concepts. But our earliest, interesting, our earliest example of Roman literature is a translation of the Odyssey, which is quite amazing. Like our earliest example of Latin literature is the is written by a poet named Livius Andronicus, I think in the late 3rd century B.C., so hundreds of years after that. And it's a translation of the Odyssey, which is already telling, like the that the Romans live in the shadow of the Greeks and that they're heavily influenced by these ideas of muses' inspirations. They, they take that as well and infuse much of their literature. And then we don't have as much epic poetic writing of, this, of the type that we, that we are discussing right now. So we don't have as much there to go with. Uh, later on, I'm trying to think, later on the Renaissance, 
you get I think you increasingly get later as as time goes on more of like the creative artist who's like who's brilliant. But and, even then there was they attributed it to some sort of godlike entity. So they recognized that artist not only as great but as gifted by the divine. So it was the divine Michelangelo. The divine Michelangelo, but even an example now where I think people still do it, they just don't personify as much as we talk about the force of alcohol for a lot of great writers. Any personification that's in the ancient world was the god Dionysus himself, who's this god of alcohol. Now Hemingway, Fitzgerald, all these all these people drank a lot, and we do interpret like it's hard to imagine Hemingway as a great writer without alcohol. I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine that, but there is still that kind of personification there. Or even we recognize. I do worship at the altar of Dionysus. Then what's that? I worship. At you the do. Altar. They see that's how it can like come together. I worshiping. It is still ultimately because I, I I think it's that, a more materialistic form of it. Just, well, just they drink alcohol, but I like this idea of associating it with a with a divine being. Yeah, I think it it comes down to it's an escape. It's a change of atmosphere. So when I say Mike, let's go to lunch, it's because I need to get away from a screen. It's I need a new perspective, right? I need to take, I need to walk away, let it process, let it bounce around my head. But then to have a drink, to have a beer or a bourbon over lunch is to alter the chemistry of the brain, right? It is to, it's not working right now. So shift the way you, you're seeing things, change your environment, change the way your brain is operating. If only slightly to find a new way in. Yeah, I think we have this, uh, we humans like alter consciousness. I think as far back as we can go, Humans like forms of intoxication. Not only humans, I think there's certain animals that will eat plants that we know don't have a nutritional value, but it seems to have some sort of mind-altering effect on them. Where we crave that. Um, animals do obviously not, perhaps for the creative ends that we do, but we humans certainly have craved that for as long as we can remember. Uh, there was a famous ancient Greek cult called the the cult of the Eleusinian Mysteries, where the word mystery comes from. The mysteries. That's just... It means literally the root of the word uh, musteria is a reveal, a revelation. And we don't know much about it because they call them, our word mystery comes from the fact that mystery cults were mysterious. That unless you're one of the initiates, it's very hard to know what actually took place in that cult. Hence, our word mystery. But uh, we do think that at the end... Uh, Wait, at- do I actually know this story? Is this the one that they had a drug, a hallucinogenic drug we that think they so. would take? And Alcibiades stole the drug. James has been reading a book. He's been inspired. <laughs> He's reading a book. Let's plug the book. What book? What book? I don't remember. No, you are. It's Stealing Fire, right? I stopped listening after that because it got boring. You stopped already? It's only been yeah. like a week. Yeah, I didn't. Like I, the, I didn't like the rest. I, it, it was. It wasn't good. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. But uh, the this book that came out, a Stealing Fire. What's it? That stealing right. Fire. That sounds right. How how the Navy Seals in Silicon Valley. It, right. Um, but the book opens with actually a discussion of the Eleusinian mysteries and particularly an important historical event in 415 BC. For those of you listening, go learn about this event. I'm not going to. James and I will not spoil it for you. I already but, did spoil it. What's that? I already did spoil it. No, no. The the consequences of it though. Oh, okay. We discuss that. Right. And if you want to learn more about, it, you should come come to lunch with us. That sounds good. Lecture lunch. A lecture lunch with prof- Professor Zim. Oh, yes, but at, we think that at the end of once you're initiated into the cult of the Eleusinian Mysteries, the culmination of this was that there was some sort of consumption of a psychotropic drug. We think it would have been mushrooms, where you have this hallucinogenic effect, and that is part of the revelation, the secret of being in this cult itself. So I, I think even there, just historically, creativity is very much recognized as sort of it's something external, and we still do this to this day. 
uh, whether it's through conversations, reading, nature. But I don't think, and I'd be curious what you think here, I know there's sometimes a tendency to say we can get creativity on demand. And yeah, we're part of an industry where people pay for that, but it's actually quite messy to get that. I mean, I think probably most creators will tell you it's quite messy to get that, to get to that point. You don't just wake up and say, okay, I'm going to get this. And, you know, I'd rather have James already honestly spend hours getting to doing whatever it is, maybe paint Skyrim or taking a walk with his dogs to get to that creative point. Let's say six hours, then write an amazing piece of copy in one hour, as opposed to sitting in a cubicle, spending eight hours of billable time and not not having that same piece. So it's it's hard to commodify creativity for that very reason. It's not like, I want two hours of your creativity. I mean, it just doesn't, it's hard to get to that point. Right. I'm going to wrap it up, but you did give me a great idea. We have, we've had story night. We've had lecture lunches. We've had all these things. How about a new night called mystery night? And we just do <laughs> shrooms. My shroom days are behind me since Amsterdam, 2004. We'll save that for the next podcast. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> get back to work. Uh, that's right. it. Thanks, Mike Zim. You bet. Thank you.